The stories contained in this podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community. This podcast may contain graphic descriptions of sexual abuse and assault, including rape. These accounts can be triggering, especially for those who have also experienced sexual trauma. If at any point during this podcast, you feel yourself getting triggered, we suggest taking a break and taking care of yourself before continuing. But we do ask that you continue if you are able. These conversations can be mentally and emotionally taxing, but they are so important to have. Welcome back to another episode of the Enough Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kendra Sheets. I am your other host, Rich Gill. And we are here today with our guest, Laura. Laura runs a very popular TikTok account. I'm so old, I don't even know if that's like the way to say it. Do you run a TikTok <laughs> account or are you a TikToker? Like, Yeah, I'm on TikTok. That's what I say. I'm on TikTok. And Laura, would you like to speak a little bit to what you talk about, post about, share on your TikTok account? Sure. Um, I talk about a variety of things, but people know me, I would say, for popularizing the term weaponized incompetence. So I talk a lot about what it actually looks like to have equitable division of labor at home. And it's not just making someone a list and having them do chores. It's actually empowering each other to be active partners at home or active parents. And yeah, so I talk about that in the context of a household, but also because it's very much tied to social issues and women's liberation. And um, I love facts. I love data. I love charts and graphs. And so I try to bring all of that together and use my platform to educate. So we had talked prior about your history, uh, personal history in regards to when you were in your mid to late teens, how you found your way into some of these social circles and parties. And would you be able to share a little bit of background um, about your comings into the scene? (laughs) Sure. We talked about how like the internet was a bit of a wild west situation. LiveJournal and Friendster and HotOrNot.com, all of these like really, really early social media platforms, it like opened the door to anyone. And it felt like, like these were real people. I mean, I wasn't a chat room person, but I would be like going on these platforms and seeing people with their image and their name and their age and everything. And I'd be like, oh, sure. This seems like a nice person. And it felt very safe. And so I just started like chatting with people on deviant art, like every avenue I was, I was in it. And it was like 14, 15, 16. And as I started to go, I started like nothing bad ever happened. And so I just kept doing it. And eventually that brought me to my space where I then had access to like a whole full grown adults were just doing their thing on my space and chatting with me. Yeah. To reiterate, how old are you at this point? Yeah. 15 was the age where I started like befriending people on MySpace. And then 16 and 17 was like, yeah, no, this is cool. This is my life. I am living large. So at that point, was your social circle 
basically like your active social circle consisting of majority of the people that you met through the social media platforms? A combination. So oddly enough, okay, I said that I I work in these, um, the realm of domestic labor and things like that. And part of my work is actually like public policy influencing. And I work with a lot of groups that do like parental leave and affordable childcare, things like that, that are very relevant and important to us socially. One of the women that I organize with, I met on LiveJournal when I was 13. Oh my gosh. Our paths like crossed there through, you used to be able to use LiveJournal and click on, like you'd list your interests. You could click on the interests and it would bring you to other people. It was like a hashtag. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I found her that way and we became friends and our, my mom would like drive us to hang out when I was 14 and 15, you know, and then you'd get on my space and I can't wait to hear from you two about this, but you would be like, okay, here's someone's top eight. And you would become friends with all of the people in their top eight or like famous people you could add them and they would add you back and you could message them. And sometimes they'd message you back. <laughs> and so, do you remember that little, like antenna icon they had wherever they were like live they were on right at that moment that was like the most exciting thing when you were like i just messaged them and now they're on like are they gonna respond to my message and you just sit there like waiting and you didn't have like a a smartphone to like have this pop up or anything there's no app like (laughs) notifications on your apps or anything myspace like i never once felt like the picture was a fake picture like the you know yeah and all of it feel felt so real. Like this is legitimately this person, just like mine is legitimately all about me. I was never a big like message group or like Yahoo groups or whatever. But I have friends who met some of their to this day best friends on like the Taking Back Sunday Yahoo group or yeah. like MakeoutClub.com, which was another early sort of social media yeah. <laughs> channel. But yeah, so I mean, it like there was a part of it where it was, you know, people were making legitimate close friends, lifelong friends because of shared interests in whatever it happened to be that they were into. That's when it was angelic and pure. Oh, uh, when it was before, back in its Before the humanity caught days. up with the internet. <laughs> Did either of you ever see the original Catfish movie? It was like mind blowing to even think like it follows this man's journey to meeting the love of his life who he met online. And it ends up being like, so if you have not seen Catfish, watch the original. It was so good. It's but I before that, I like never thought. I mean, I knew I knew there was like a possibility that these were not the people and those were not the people I was like meeting up with. People were like sharing pictures back and forth and talking to me on the phone after I'd give them my number. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, if I met him on MySpace or something, I was like, of course, like, of course you're who you say you are. Right. For some reason, it felt like a safer platform. I feel like that was the first like social media channel where it was used for like promotion and stuff also where like bands were promoting shows and people were promoting their like before personal brand was a term yeah like (laughs) hadn't really existed like friendster wasn't really you couldn't really do that on there plus you got to force people to listen to a song of your choice as soon as your page loaded it was like as loud as possible or add a bunch of animated backgrounds that oh yeah five minutes to load glittery Mm mm-hmm Yeah. Man, taking me back. (laughs) Yeah, bring that back. I like that. So it seems like originally everything was going okay. You were meeting some people and you were in your mid to late teens. Was there a point in time where you 
started meeting people that were outside of your own age range, possibly men, possibly men that were older and knew your age. Definitely. There was something in the air in like the early 2000s where there was the movie Lolita that was popular. Even um, my favorite movie in the world was uh, Ghost World. And it like, again, is like normalizing. Yeah. It's this like, of course, older men love young women. Of course. How could an older man resist this 16 year? Like, how could that uh, even like American Beauty, like, yeah, lost mm-hmm. in translation. She was of age, but it was still this like weird normalization of drastic power and age differences. So, yeah, like I got invited to parties and there were grown adult men DMing me asking to meet up at the mall or just like inviting me to a party. Do I will take you to the bar if you come hang out with me right now. Like there was a whole, I can't even point to one instance because it was not only normal for me, but like all of my friends too. Did you, and did you and your friends talk about this or were you just like, I'm going and doing all this stuff and my friends don't know about it. Or were you just like, yeah, we're just all meeting up with these older men that we met online. I think at the beginning, I thought it made me really cool. Mm -hmm. So I definitely like told people the first person I can think of that I started hanging out with was when I was 15 and he was 21. And when you say like your friends, like, did you tell your friends what's so horrific thinking back is I didn't have friends my age at that point because they all became his friends. And which is an extra layer of horrifying because, you know, I've stayed in touch with these people for ages. And recently this specific guy got married like a year ago, he got married. And I found out about it because all of a sudden, like our mutual friends were congratulating him on social media. And I was like, whoa, first of all, I haven't thought about that guy in a long time. Second of all, you watched him do that. You watched him be a horrible creep and you're still 16 years down the road being like, congratulations on your wedding. Like, what if that guy has kids? Does his wife know? Ew. It's really bizarre to me that that time in space, like I'm not unique. I'm not unique in my experiences there. Yeah. I think when I was around that age, you do think you're kind of cool, right? Because he's like, he's older, he drives, he has a car. It's like a beater and it barely like blows black smoke out. And like, you have to like rev it a hundred times to get to go, but it's a car. Oh my God, we can go to the mall or whatever the situation was. And like, you do feel that kind of like status, I guess status symbol of like the guy that I'm hanging out with doesn't even go to high school. Okay, red flag. Why is he hanging out (laughs) around high schools? Things like, you know, social media, seems like it made that sort of easier for the older people you're not out in public walking up to someone just you know out of the blue there there was like no stigma to it you know that was just what was happening and, right and it just made it easier which is crazy to think about recently i've been unpacking a lot of this for myself and reflecting on like you know i didn't think there was anything wrong with it for a long time i just thought like you know there was that one dude when i was uh 15 he was 21 and he gave me a lot of alcohol. And so I thought I was like really cool, really mature, had lived a lot of life. By the time I was 16 and 17, I was like, it just makes sense that older guys would be interested in me because I'm really mature and like cool. And I'm hanging in these circles and I'm going to share mine. And then I want to hear 
yours, Kendra. (laughs) one, One of the things that they would tell me is like, and that really got me, this was, this was the hook, line and sinker for me was I realized this is wrong. Like this feels a little weird and I really like spending time with you, but like, I don't know something of like, it's really, there's a lot of taboo here. I don't want to harm you. I just cannot get over how attracted I am to you. Like, I just can't, like, I can't believe what a connection we have. <laughs> like in my, I was, <laughs> I love watching you like, like <laughs> go through this and, and realizing now and, you know, before, it's but disgusting. like how ridiculous. Yeah. It It is like textbook. Like, what do you say if you want to lure a teenage girl to like, <laughs> that's it's it. The, it's the groomer handbook. <laughs> but what are some other things or maybe from you or like you've heard other people have heard, like what's, what's the groomer handbook? I've never met anybody ever like you before. Out of all the girls, you're so different. And then that puts you on this like internal pedestal where you're like, out of all the girls, you're 19. You must have met a lot of girls and I'm much more different. That's the monologue yeah. I had in my head where I was like, yeah. I knew I was different. And you just made it like you made all my, you know, assumptions into a reality. But yeah, the kind of you're so different pedestal thing worked for me like a lot when I was growing up. You know, when when you're younger and you can't get alcohol because you're under 21, alcohol was like a thing to be coveted. And then they use that as like, well, you know, you want to grab some drinks and you're like, oh, he thinks I'm cool enough to get drinks. Like, that's that's really awesome. OK. And then and there's like the next transgression, which would be like, oh, did you want to like maybe hang out in my room? And you're like, oh, I could go see your room. And then it's all of these things that are giant red flags for like adults. But as a kid, these are all the things that you really want to do. Just being excited in a new situation with, you know, people that you for some reason look up to, even just just because they're older than you. I feel like you put your finger on something like specifically, I very relatable to me. I'm a recovering addict. And the dude, when he was 21, I was 15, gave me a ton of alcohol and I became dependent on it. And whether or not it was a social dependency or like, I, I mean, I was drinking alone a lot, but there is this thing that he did. And a lot of, I think, people like this, like pred- predator type of people is like, he helped drive a wedge between me and my mom because I would like drink, I would sneak out, I would start getting in trouble and then I would withdraw. And he sort of fed into that a little bit and was like, well, if like, I mean, at one point I'm remembering, he was like, you, we can move out. Like you can move in with me. We can get an apartment. And And how old were you at this point? 15. And he was just always like, I'm such a good friend to you. But it always felt like he manipulated me using things that I didn't feel very, um, I was like, I was very depressed. I drank a lot. I wanted to feel different. I felt different. Something was off. And like you said, it's like, it like made me susceptible. And then when things didn't go a way I felt comfortable, I was less connected to the people who cared about me. And I didn't want to turn to my mom and be like, whoa, okay, I've been lying to you for a whole year. This dude is actually like five years older than I said he was. Here's what's actually going on. He's not just my friend. Like, How old did your mom think he was? I think 18 or 19. Okay. And it was still like, you know, she just thought that he was like a friend of mine. Right. I still haven't talked to her about that. I don't know if she's going to listen to this. It's 
<laughs> we won't tell her. Sorry, mom. I don't know if she's good at Google or not, but I'm not. So I'm definitely not going to tell her. It makes it incredibly hard to say no, to ask for help. And he was not the only one. As I said, there were like a plethora of older men pursuing me. But this one specific time I'm thinking of, I essentially, I said yes until I wanted to say no. And then I said no. And he didn't want to take that for what it was. And at that point, it's this like, okay, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I'm consenting, I'm consenting. Whoop, nope, don't like that anymore. And when there's a power dynamic at play, whether you're a famous musician in a huge social circle or just an older guy who fucking drove you there, right? Now you need to ride home, right? Whatever the situation is, you now have lost your ability to choose what's going to happen. Well, you know. <laughs> That was intense, by the way, but it's so real. It's so true. I have so many stories that are like coming back right now that I have like, I need to talk to my therapist like tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I have a distinct, I have a memory of who I was at a party. Again, everyone was like seven years older than me and should not have had me at their house. And I was just like fall down drunk, puked like eight times on the way home that night. And I was like, I don't know, talking to some guy who I thought was cute. I don't know. The whole thing was a mess, but I was talking to him and he walked away from me and I said something whiny to him. You know, I was like 15, whatever. And he goes, you need to find whoever the fuck took you here. Get in that car and go home. You are a little girl. You are a little girl at a party where you should not be. And he like snapped at me. And I remember crying and being, you know, the drunk. That would have broken me as a teenager because I wanted to be cool so bad. Yeah. I was really upset with it. And he was at other parties for the the next year when I was around and he would not, he avoided me at all costs. I know he's the only one who ever said something to the people who brought me around. He's also like the hero of this story. He is. Yeah. He is. He's the only rational person so far. Amazing. Like I, I you know, it didn't change anything for me, but I yeah. really, really appreciate that. He called it what it is. They brought a little girl to a party. So Laura, as like all this is happening, at what point did you kind of realize this is not healthy for me? I should not be doing this. I was 30. Holy shit. <laughs> No, seriously, my my personal history is, you know, there was that dude and then there were other dudes. And I I was introduced to like the party scene in Chicago, where again, it was this whole like, you're a friend of a friend. And so of course, this is normal behavior. And it's all like, it's being celebrated. And when I was 17, I went to rehab, I picked up like a pretty quick, but nasty drug addiction, and then went to rehab. And I was in rehab for like, I want to say like eight months total. And then I moved to Chicago and I, I was alcohol and drug free for several months when I moved back to Chicago and like lived my life relatively normally, uh, started drinking again, but not picked up the drugs, officially quit drinking alcohol about seven years ago. Congratulations. And thank you. But it took me until I was like unpacking all of this with my husband, you know, going through my, I'm using air quotes here, dating history. 
<laughs> heavy air quotes. Yeah. And I was going through it with my husband and he was like, you realize that was not okay, right? And I was like, wait, no, it wasn't. I was 30 before I was like, whoa, I have not even looked at the way that those relationships and those dynamics laid out in my life and how they affected me. You know, no one's no one's on, on the same path. People realize things at different points. And, you know, you talking about this now, you're like, oh, my God, like, how did I not see it? But it's also it's hard to see what is going on when you're inside it. It's like being in any sort of bad relationship, you know, oh, well, you don't see like the good things that they do. And I'm like, so specifically feeling like you're targeting me, Rich. I'm so pissed at you right now. It's like <laughs> the same, like four things I always say. <laughs> no, like I'm targeting, I'm targeting myself, to be honest. Like, you don't so. understand why he's fabulous. He's like really talented. No, I'm 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 targeting I'm targeting my my own history. Okay, good. Keep going, and with, I'll just keep with, making this face at you. <laughs> um, but no, you know, until you're outside of it, and you sort of realize, and sometimes it takes, you know, a couple months. Sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes fifteen years. But eventually, hopefully, you come out the other side, and you're like, oh wow, that was fucked up, and uh, I'm glad I made it through it. But yeah, especially like you continued with your life. You have kids, you have a husband, you were, you know, you were a teacher. Now you're a famous TikToker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that right? A TikToker? I sound like, yes, I feel like I'm, I'm a old. TikToker. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> when they're not the most prevalent, most traumatic things that you're dealing with, then you don't really think of them. And they just are the things that made you the person that you are, good or bad. It's just part of your life. And sometimes it takes, that exterior point of view from someone that you are close to that you care about to be like, what the fuck do you yeah. think that you think that's normal? Yeah, it's a weird place to unravel from. And, you know, I, I feel like I owe a lot of that to the Me Too movement. And people coming forward created like a reason to stand up and say something. And I would like tiptoe into it. Like I started talking to friends in real life. I started talking to my family a little bit about it. And like, I think this is a very relatable experience when you're unpacking this sort of thing is like you give a nugget and then you see if they're safe. Like, can I tell you more? How are you going to react to this? Are you immediately going to turn it on me? And I think as someone with like a large social media platform now, I became empowered by having friends and family like back me up in real life. And, you know, I'm like sort of joking that like maybe my mom will hear this. She probably will. And I have not told her all of the things. But as I have, she's had my back every step of the way. And even my grandma would I would talk openly about it. My grandma would have my back and just be like telling me her stories, which sucks. But now I have this huge platform where I can just talk really openly and be like, here's what's okay. Here's what's not so not okay. Here's what this allows. And it does feel like I'm giving other, like, I'm not, I'm trying not to let that momentum die. I'm trying to be like, no, you still have permission to speak up. Like, come on, keep doing it. You got it. You got it. Come on. (laughs) So it feels good. What's interesting about that is that's, Kind of the exact same thing that we're doing here also to let people know, like, yeah, you're you're not alone. You're not the only person that 
whatever it is that happened to you happened to. Um, and it's okay to talk about it and it's good to talk about it and we should be talking about it and we're not going to stop talking about it. And also the more you talk about it, the more you're working through it by every time you talk about this openly, you're, you're expressing yourself, you're sharing this, you're empowering other people to share. It, it's so important to do. Yeah. It takes the, to me, it like takes the power away. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Something that comes up in these conversations is even if they do believe the person is a bad, you know, they did these bad things, they had a bad behavior, a comment, like comment about it is, well, are you really going to come forward right now and like ruin their life? And that one to me is like, sure the fuck I am. They did this to themselves. Right. Yeah. How dare you hold them accountable for their own behavior on your timeline? You did this. You did this. And if somebody makes it public that this is what you did, that's not their fault. You're the one who did the thing. Like, what is a good time to out somebody? Before they do the thing. Yeah, before they do it again. So like, as soon as fucking possible. Something that I've heard people say to me, which tells me that it's not a safe conversation to be having. Like, I once said something about, I was I was drugged. And I was telling somebody about this and whatever context it was, their response to me was, okay, yeah, that might be your experience, but what about all of the men who are falsely accused? It's easily Googleable that false accusations are between one and 3%. Yeah. It's just a really good excuse to not believe people. Yeah. You know, whenever someone kind of instantaneously bats back with anything about assault or rape quick to throw out that well it's true proven that many men or many women say like i i've lost interest we're not talking about many we're not talking about stats i'm telling you a story about something that happened it's all tied to like you don't want it to be true about your friend you don't want to have to like make a fuss about it you don't want to have to cut them from the show it would just be a lot easier if we would just like not make this a big deal yeah, let's let's talk more about like the sweeping it under the rug culture that we have, not only in music, but just across the board in some of these things. Obviously, there's a number of reasons why it's easier not to say anything. But let's go back to the scenario that you had. You were 15. You were dating someone six years older than you. That person had friends that were probably around the age between, what, 19 to 22, probably somewhere in there. Why would someone not be like, why are you hanging out with a child besides the one party guy who we've discussed before? (laughs) The one saving grace hero of this entire conversation. Yeah, I feel like in my experience, I wonder if you're also picturing situations now like I am. I mean, I had a teacher friend who worked on my staff who said like really terrible things to the students. And it was like, just again, like brushed under the rug and terrible in like a sexual way or terrible like you're stupid. No, he would like put them down or like a little girl came into school one day with braces and braids, like new braces. And she was kind of like a nerdy, very studious. I'm going to cry with whatever you're about to say. I'm about to like just well up with tears. I can already tell. Well, he was just he said something like, oh, no, (laughs) braces and braids. Ugh, good luck. Oh, like, yeah, just a total jerk. I hope she's like banging hot right now. And she's just like living her best life with her straight fucking teeth and her gorgeous hair. 
She was incredible. Would have hung out with her any day more than him. But he was a jerk and he would say things that would make people uncomfortable and no one did anything. I mean, it goes as far as Weinstein, right? Like, how do these men and individuals gain power? It's because of many things, but clout breeds clout and you climb the ladder and like, oh, well, if they think it's okay, then it must be okay. Everybody else thinks it's okay. So if you're going to be the one to like pull the plug on the party, like that's, that's not cool. Also like, oh, I don't want to get involved with that one. (laughs) Right. I was talking to someone over the weekend about all of this um, at a show. And she was like, how do we clean up our scene? It's so fucking filthy. Like there's just so much of this. What do we do? That comment was made after she told me a story about how someone in our music scene who has some clout grabbed her butt recently. And, you know, she's in a long-term relationship. This person knows both of them. And this happened within both of them in being in the same vicinity. But she didn't say anything because, you know, what it, it's not exactly that you're raised to not speak out, but it's like you don't want to cause any issue. Everyone's having a really good time. You don't want to, like you said, pull the plug on the party. And then you start thinking. Also, you start doubting. Did they just happen to graze my butt? Was that a full hand? Maybe they thought that they were, you know, touching the chair, but that doesn't make any sense. And then you start trying to go through like logistics of like what really was supposed to happen because you must have just mistaken it for something else. And then by the time you start doing all of that, like it's the end of the night and you're already in an Uber home and you're like, well, and, you know, as, as we, we just talked about earlier, I mean, it's it's so hard to come forward with anything, no matter how big or small. I mean, if this person would have said, hey, just grab my butt. What the fuck? Like you could say it. What would it do? I mean, were you at a point where you'd been drinking all night so it wouldn't come out the way you wanted it to? Would you have had a tone when you were trying to make it into a joke to like call to the fact openly around a group of friends that this person just did this? Like, you know, you don't really know how to navigate that as soon as it comes out of your mouth. Like, what is everyone else going to do? And you don't want to lose your status within a group. You know, you don't want to be ostracized, especially if you're dealing with someone who has some sort of clout, you know, and they're able to pull strings to get you into shows or whatever the situation might be like but like at a certain point you have to think about like do these small little additions that you get you know what would it be a 15 buck show maybe 30 dollars, whatever does that really like equal out to your dignity and your safety do the things that these people are providing for you alcohol before you're 21 years old is that something that's going to be more or less detrimental moving forward and when you know when you're younger you don't think about those kind of things but as you get older you're able to kind of look back in hindsight and look at things for the actual value and you're like i'd rather spend 30 dollars to not be assaulted thank you not really worth it well it's something that you know speaking from the straight white male point of view which um we always need more of Let's yeah, be there's nothing that I want to hear more about than a white man's <laughs> point of view on something, which is why I chose you as my my co-host. <laughs> right. There were people who were very surprised when I started doing this and they were just like, really, you? And I was like, well, yeah, this is, you know, <laughs> I got to a point where it's like, this is something that I feel strongly about. You know, I want to go all in on it and make people hate you. Because that's what they do when you talk about rape on a podcast. <laughs> but to see me as like a safe person to talk to right. about this stuff. And I remember one situation in particular that I was reminded of when you were talking about the butt grabbing thing. <laughs> um, I was at a show 
hanging out with a couple friends and a man and a woman. And the woman went and got a drink, came back. And she was like, oh, like super bummed about something. I was like, what happened? And she was like, some guy just grabbed my tits when I was walking back from the bar. And I was just like, who is it? Point him out to me. We're going to fucking settle this right now. Like, I'm going to talk to him. And she was like, no, 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 it's fine. I was like, no, that's not right. He needs to realize that that's not right. And I think if more people did that. Just having someone that you know would have your back like that means so much, especially in this like post Me Too, because there are so many people that are concerned with their social stature. They wouldn't dare go up to somebody and say, what did you think you just did here? Like, do you understand why you did that? Why it was wrong? And try to engage them in a conversation or at least talk to them about what was going on. Until we get to a point where we start normalizing that behavior, we're not going to be able to move forward. Or there's going to be a very, very large chasm between groups of people within the same community. There's the people that function one way versus the people who function the other way. And then that creates the us versus them mentality. And that gets very toxic. But there's just so much of this, this sweeping under the rug mentality still. And I don't know, besides making those changes personally, each one of us, what else we could possibly do to break that? Like there's that interpersonal sweeping under the rug. But as you were talking, Rich, my like my spidey senses go off when you're like, no, just like tell like tell me who it is because I'm that guy, too. I'm like, shut the fuck up. I'm going in. (laughs) But it scares the shit out of my husband because it's so dangerous. To be clear, I wasn't I I wasn't going to kick anyone's ass. I was just going to. Yeah, Rich isn't much of an ass kicker. (laughs) Sternly. But I don't even mean. You could have gotten your ass kicked. That's what yes. I'm That's true. Like even just verbally confronting someone, he could have been like, shut the fuck up. She's got great tits. You're telling me you don't want to grab it. Like he could have been like, you want to. Sh- I see you've hung out with some scumbags before. You really nailed that impression. Laura. <laughs> Spot fucking I on. <laughs> I have. I have. So there's that element of legitimate actual danger for when you call it out. So I. Like a year and a half ago, I was walking down the street. I would walk the same mile loop like every day to get lunch and then come home. And I'm walking down the street and this guy who is clearly not fully aware of his surroundings starts following me down the street and I'm like walking faster and he starts screaming at me. He goes, he's like, yo, bitch, come suck my dick. And he's like screaming at me and I'm walking really fast and he's walking quickly behind me. He's like two car lengths behind me public middle of the day, I look to the side, there's some dude sitting in his car with his window halfway down. And he's like on his phone, he looks at me, rolls his window up and scoots back. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And so now I'm scared of the dude who's behind me. I'm glaring at this man. And I walked in and I went in the cafe I was at. And I was like, okay, I'm safe. But I talked to multiple men later that day, multiple men, women, individuals, and a bunch of people were like, well, what did you expect him to do? The the men that I talked to said this, what do you expect him to do? Like this guy was clearly like unwell. Um, It would be really dangerous for him, for someone like a stranger to get involved. And my first reaction was like, you could have been like, get in the car. You could have walked me down the street. You could have just popped out of the car and been like, do you need help? Yeah. To see what you literally need. anything. You did not have to interfere with the guy. You didn't have to engage with him. There were a million things. And never 
ever in my entire life would I think about not intervening. I have, you hear a woman screaming down the street. I'm like, Jack, call, I don't know. I'm going to be down there. Like I'm the first one out the door. I'm crossing the street to walk with a woman I see walking by herself. Like I walk up to a guy who looks like he's bothering a woman at the bar. There are a million things you can do. And it drives me bananas when people are like, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's fucking dangerous for the person who's currently in that situation who needs your help. Mm -hmm. As soon as you were saying that, I was like, the guy could have gotten out of the car and been like, baby, come here. Let's go grab a sandwich or whatever. And then you could have just walked over to him and he could have been like, where are you going? Let me walk you there. Like I said, like, I know it's a dangerous situation to go in and be like, dude, you just grabbed her tits. Like, because what are you actually trying to get out of that? Somebody who has the audacity to do that. It's a power play move. Yeah. And they think they're not going to get called out. And if you are like, if you're in a club, if you're at a show where that's been just like kind of the culture for a while, that's the transgression is being like, dude, that's not cool. You're the bad guy, which is why change the culture. Like, that's why you have to be the risky one when you have... I was reading a book recently by Liz Plank, and she's like, you can check your privilege, but while you're doing that, check your power and see where you can actually influence. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. When it comes to the culture at large and music culture specifically, if Gen Z is leading the charge, then we are in good hands. Yes, we were putting a lot of a lot of stock in Gen Z in this podcast. Yeah. We're really hopeful <laughs> They're for that. Great. Their conversations about consent and body positivity Mm -hmm. and gender, gender, like all of those discussions that me personally, as a 43 year old man, never had when I was a kid. I don't know, Laura, what your experience with any of those conversations was. Not much. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that those conversations are happening and they're just like right out on front street about everything. That's that's awesome. Laura, I wanted to ask you something about you know, you kind of coming to this realization a little bit later in life, have you reached out to any of the people from your past and not even so much confronted them, but just been like, hey, did you think that what was going on here? Like, did you ever think that it was weird or not okay? Because it was weird and not okay. (laughs) Because it was. Um, No, I haven't. One question one question that I've asked myself and my therapist has asked me a lot is like, what is the goal? And so, you know, like I have this, I have this giant platform now and I could just like put up a picture of these guys. Be like, these are bad people. I could do that. But what is the actual point of that? And like, anytime you're going to intervene or say something or hold friends accountable, like that is always the question. And I'll say, you know, when I was like 16, I had a, I had a friend who was being, who confided that she was being abused by her boyfriend at the time. I, again, am like the interfere, get involved, don't let it slide type. And being 16, I didn't know about domestic violence. I think I made it worse. And so these days I try really hard to be really intentional. Like, okay, if I, if I confronted this person, would it be because I wanted accountability or acknowledgement? Do I actually need to dig into like the actual cost to my life? I mean, I went to rehab, it costs, I don't know, $150,000. Like 
that might be something I need to consider actually dealing with at some point. Or do I need to consider a police report or like I need to figure that out basically before like, is my satisfaction in just saying it to you? I don't know. But what sucks, the really, really, really shitty thing about this is that the statute of limitations runs out. So when these people come out of the woodworks because of the work that you're doing here, you don't ever need to be silent because any time, like I could tell my story, I could be talking about this. Kendra, you were like, oh no, I would have to talk about this in therapy. The reason I'm empowered to talk about this is because someone else in my life talked about it. Right. Maybe not the same person, not, not the same story, but as long as we continue to not, like, I'm not ashamed of it. I was, and I'm not anymore. And I want the men in my life to know that people like me are going to be loud as fuck. And I'm not going to let my kids be quiet. And if you touch my ass, I'm going to call you out. You're leaving the party. I'm not leaving the party. If someone can hear that rage in my voice and be like, hell yeah, I'm not going to do it either. Like that is a better use of my platform than just showing someone's picture. Maybe one day I will be able to take some course of action. I don't know. I'm not feeling incredibly urgent about it. But right now it feels great to just be like, cut your, cut your fucking friends off. Stop <laughs> hanging out with these creeps. Don't invite them to the party because we trust them. We trust you. Like throw my middle fingers up in the air and just like loudly curse them all. One of the things that I, I've been working on in therapy is that I don't need to confront people to get some sort of closure for my own situation because it it, it happened. And I can continue the conversation with them and tell them you were very hurtful or these are the things that I now have to deal with because of the actions that you, you know, put upon me um, and the way that you've changed my life. But also, I don't fucking care to tell them. They're not in my life anymore. I've removed them from my life. If it was a situation where I wanted to continue to grow with this person to keep them in my inner circle and my support group and have an open conversation about why, you know, our relationship failed or why, you know, the things that they've done and said to me that I found to be hurtful and I want to grow and move past those so we can grow in our relationship, be it friendship, romantic or otherwise, then that conversation would take place most likely. But for a lot of the things that I've dealt with, these people are so far, and, and this might change, you know, therapy is this ongoing rolling terrain of ups and downs that you never really know what's going to happen next. But for me, I just, I don't have an interest in really having to go through the efforts of finding them, of talking to them, of trying to explain to them. Because I feel like I spent a lot of my life trying to explain to other people why they should be treating me better. And it's a waste of my fucking time if you don't understand what my value is, because I sure as shit know what mine is. So I'm just going to walk away from you. Mic drop on my end. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one piece that always comes back to me, and I'm totally 100% with you, especially nowadays, like that plays into like, you're not welcome. I trust the people in my circle and you have proven yourself to be not safe. So you're out. The other thing is some of these men are bad. Some of these people are bad people and dangerous people. And I would like to do what I can to make sure that they don't have access to vulnerable people. And so like, I'm thinking of one person in particular, and like, anytime these people get outed in the scene, I think it has probably better accountability. It's a better accountability measure that people know 
then even if they like go to jail or whatever, because if they don't have access to their platform or to their cool points, you lose your clout. What do you have? So I love the idea of like thinking about what does accountability or justice look like in my mind? How can I keep other people safe? And then, you know, like I said, the statute of limitations is shit. So that's not very helpful. And a lot of people that we talk to say that they don't even necessarily want, some of them do want to press charges in prison time. But, you know, also a lot of people have a distrust of the legal system and the police and confinement uh, sometimes does more harm than good. And it mm -hmm. turns bad people into worse people. So a big thing that they want is just admit what you did, take accountability, stop lying and saying you didn't yeah. do anything when you did something and take responsibility for that. One of the things that I think is so tricky is that, you know, if we if we have the same set of actions, ABC, ABC could ruin one person and ABC could just put a tiny dent in the armor of another person, depending on their clout points, their status in the scene, their fan base, their friend group, you know, what what they do for other people, what other people do for them. There's no carbon copy here of what the right or wrong thing to do is in any of these scenarios. And there's no one way to go about handling outing somebody or just talking openly about your personal situations. I mean, each one of these is so very different, just like each one of the scenarios may be similar, but also different. There's a lot of mental health issues that unfortunately have to be taken into account. Like Rich was saying, People who abuse didn't become abusers because it's genetic. They didn't get it in their blood. They didn't get it. It's because they've witnessed or experienced something firsthand, be it from family or, you know, a, a neighbor down the way or a relationship that they were in. Consciously or unconsciously push your, push your experiences onto other people around you, be it a romantic relationship or otherwise. And putting somebody in a scenario like incarceration could make things so much worse for them. Um, you know, we talk a lot about transformative and restorative justice on the pod, but it's just, it's just really hard because there's, again, there's no one right or wrong answer and there's no one or right or wrong way to deal with anything, except the only thing that every situation calls for is accountability. That's the only thing, whatever that means to you, whatever the survivor wants it to mean, that's, that's what the requirement is. Other than that, it's kind of up for interpretation, I feel. Accountability would be really great. And I'm really glad that you bring up like restorative justice and what accountability looks like. And from everything I've read and learned and listened to, the whole idea is right. Like what you're doing here, you focus on survivors, what makes them feel empowered and having a platform and like sharing in that collective rage and being able to have friends that you trust to be like, you know, Kendra, you're like rich, text me after this. Like, let's, <laughs> so let's process a little bit together. I just feel really hopeful that, you know, we didn't touch on it here, but there's that um, documentary about the revenge porn website. Oh, Hunter, Hunter Moore. Moore. What a dick hole. Yes. And he, you know, he got, he got to a place of power because he had clout and the way he manipulated people. And it's like that whole negging thing where you withhold and then you give them a tiny bit. He got to that place because of all the things that we're talking about. And I don't see Gen Z tolerating that. They're using their power and their access to their, their own platforms and their tech savviness to be like, 
oh no, I saw that you shared your ex-girlfriend's nude. You're out now. We just doxed the shit out of you. And now there's people headed to your house right now. (laughs) (laughs) And they, and even more than that, they're like using the language of restorative justice. And they're coming up with these ideas of like, no, here's what accountability looks like. We're standing behind this survivor and, and here's the steps you can take to rejoin the collective. And like, Mm -hmm. they're doing this incredible work. And, you know, there's a point when you're an adult that you get to where you're like, oh no, I know nothing. Like the next generation is the one that is now we need to be listening to. And I feel like with this, there's empowerment in millennial and Gen X and all that. But I can't wait to see Gen Z is almost elder at this point. Like what are the middle schoolers talking about? I'm very hopeful. If Gen Z is elder, then I'm like, what the walker? (laughs) Geriatric. I have a 12 year old and I'm very curious what, yeah, what the next few years are going to look like. I'm super happy that you guys are doing this. And it's so nice to have a platform and a space to talk about these things. And every time I hear about someone who came forward or called their friend out or just straight up blocked them, like no questions asked, like that's how you are an incredible ally. If a friend comes to you and they're like, dude, this, this thing happened. And like, I don't know if it was really a big deal. And someone just being like, oh, it's a big deal. And they're done. They're out. Feels so good. I'm so glad you guys are giving voice to it. Enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, booking agent, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.